0: Before reflecting on today's scripture readings, I'd like to bring your attention once again to the teaching in our first prayer at the opening of Mass. Uh, These are the words that I prayed for all of us Almighty, ever living God, increase our faith, hope, and charity, and, now this is a teaching I want us all to pay attention to, and make us love what you command. We didn't pray that God would make us do what he commands, although I'm sure that that's what the Lord wants us to do. Uh, We asked him to make us love what he commands. And the reason for that is that we won't do what he commands very long if we don't love it. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why the church hasn't very successfully passed on the faith to the next generation of Catholics, because we taught them the rules you know, what we were supposed to do, but we didn't always teach them to love what the Lord commands, to understand it and see why it's good and why it's better for the world if we we live this life, why it's better for us. And if we understand it and love it, then it's easier for us to actually do it and to pass on the gift of our faith to the next generation. So as we listen to God's word in Scripture this evening, uh, let's all in our hearts ask him to teach us to love what he's teaching us, and we make it part of our interior life in doing so. Once again, this weekend, the theme of the, of the Scripture readings is prayer. That's been the theme the last uh, several weeks. And the first reading from the Old Testament book of Syrac, uh is here to convince us that God listens to our prayers. I think I might have asked you last week or the week before. I wasn't here last week, but um, are you convinced that God hears your prayers? Are there times when you don't think God listens to you? I think most of us have many times when we don't think that God is responding to our prayer. And the scriptures assure us that God always hears our prayers and he always answers us. But he doesn't always give give us what we want right? He gives us what we actually need rather than what we want. And this reading is interesting because it introduces a a theme that's present in the life of the church, and that is that God has a preferential love for the poor, that God prefers the poor in some sense. And if we're not poor, we say, well, what does that make of me, you know? Um... But I think we understand this in our families. You know, if there's a special needs child in the family, the mother and father love all the children. They love them equally in different ways, but equally. But there is a special kind of love that you have for those who have disabilities. And that's why it says here that God has a preferential love for the poor. But Listen to what the the scriptures tell us. The Lord is a God of justice. Who knows no favorites. Though not unduly partial to the weak, yet he hears the cry of the oppressed. The Lord is not deaf to the wail of the orphan, nor the widow when she pours out her complaints. So, you know, God is certainly has no favorites, but he does in a special way respond to those in, in difficulties and special needs. But this is a portion of the reading that helps us understand today's gospel. The next lines; it, these are the words. The one who serves God willingly is heard. His petition reaches to the heavens. The, low, the prayer of the lowly pierces the clouds. It does not rest till it reaches its goal. Which is the heart of God. So the reading is telling us that we should be convinced, have confidence, that the Lord hears our prayers, except in one circumstance, which Jesus talks about in today's gospel. So let's go to the gospel reading from the Gospel of St. Luke. Uh, Jesus um, is giving uh, a teaching. He tells a story about a Pharisee and a publican. And sometimes we don't actually understand why he's telling this story. But in this particular case, if you listen closely, you heard that Jesus. I mean, that the Scriptures tell us why Jesus tells this story. He says, it says here, Jesus addressed this parable to those who were convinced of their own righteousness and despised everyone else. So this is a story for those of us who are convinced of our righteousness. What does it mean to be righteous? Well, the word righteous is self-explanatory in a way. It means that we have the right relationship with God, and because of that, the right relationships with one another. So a woman... A man who is righteous is the person who has those right relationships, has relationships properly ordered in the proper kind of way, okay? But Jesus is telling a story about those who are convinced of their own righteousness, which we refer to today as self-righteousness. And it means to be smug or complacent, you know, who thinks everything's just fine the way it is, that I'm pretty good and I don't need to change. So if you find yourself described by those words, then this story is for you. And if you don't find yourself described in those words, you're not honest about yourself because we're all, in some sense, self, self-righteous. And the ones who think we're not are the ones who probably really are. Okay? So let's listen to the story which Jesus wants to tell to all of us. It's a story about two men. One is a Pharisee and one is a publican. A publican is someone who works for the government, in this particular case, tax collectors. And the other is a Pharisee. Now, I've talked about Pharisees before, but I want to remind you who these people were. First of all, they were not the clergy. People think that the Pharisees were the clergy of the day. But they were not. They were lay people like those of you in the pews. Not me, not the deacons, not Father Gill, but you. They were Pharisees. And they lived at a time when Judah, Judea rather, was, um, had been captured by the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was always trying to assimilate the Jews to make them like themselves. And this group of laypeople wanted to be resistant to that. They didn't want to be like the Romans. They wanted to be faithful to the law that God had given them, to the Torah. And so they built up customs and practices that would protect that in order that they wouldn't be assimilated. And that's a pretty good thing, right? I mean, the reason why we come together as a community in some sense is so that we won't be assimilated by the world around us. That every Sunday we get reinforced Uh, as disciples of Jesus, you know, to find protection for the things that we believe. And that's who the Pharisees were. They were good people. Um, Oftentimes Jesus is fighting with them in the Gospels, some of them, and he refers to them as hypocrites. A hypocrite is someone who's different on the outside than they are on the inside, who's pretending to be pious and not really pious, for example. But for the most part, they were very good people. In fact, St. Paul, before his conversion to Christianity, was a Pharisee, the ones who were really serious about the law. So this is a story about a Pharisee and about a tax collector. And the tax collectors were collaborators. They worked for the Roman government. They collected taxes. They gave the taxes to the Romans. The Roman Jews had money to send their soldiers and to occupy the country. So they were seen as traitors, really bad people. So this is a story about somebody who's supposed to be really good and someone who's supposed to be really bad. Jesus often uses those kind of extremes to make a point. So let's look at the story with all that background in our mind. Two people, Jesus says, went up to the temple area to pray. You know, the temple was the central place of prayer in the life of the Jewish people. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee took up his position. Um, The actual literal words is, he stood up straight. And this is to compare him with what the tax collector did. So he stood up straight in the front of the temple and spoke this prayer to himself. That's what it says. He didn't pray to God. He was praying to himself. Uh, Actually, I sometimes think that might be an unfair translation because the Greek could also be um, translated, he prayed the prayer softly or quietly. Like, you know, we sometimes say a prayer to ourselves. It doesn't mean we're praying to ourselves, but we're praying it without public attention, okay? Well, anyway, listen to his prayer. He said, O God, I thank you that I am not like the rest of humanity, greedy, dishonest, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. They fasted on Mondays and Thursdays. And I pay tithes. On my whole income. A tie is to give ten percent. And the Jews were required to give a tithe on their on their grain and their wine and their oil, but not on everything. So this man is saying, you know, I give generously from all that I have. That was his prayer. He goes on to tell us, but the tax collector, this Man who was a criminal in the eyes of the Jews stood off at a distance and would not even raise his eyes to heaven. He bowed his head, beat his breast, like we do at the confedior, you know, as a sign of our sorrow for our sins, and prayed, O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Those are the two kinds of prayers. One was a bragging prayer and the other was a prayer that asked for mercy. You notice that the Pharisee didn't even ask for anything. He didn't think he needed anything in the presence of God. But the tax collector, aware of his sinfulness, asked for mercy. He knew he needed everything. And then in response to this, Jesus says, I tell you, The latter, the tax collector, went home justified, which means good in the eyes of God. Not the former. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, this is the lesson that Jesus wants us, as I mentioned at the beginning, to love. And make a part of our lives. So I'm going to talk in four practical points. How we might actually do this. Uh, first of all, when we come to church on Sunday, actually every day, what is the first thing we do? We make sign on the cross, of course. But the first thing we do after that, every time, except on very rare occasions, is we have what we call a penitential rite where we ask God to forgive our sins. And we're not doing that because the church wants us to feel guilty. We're doing it because we're imitating the tax collector in today's gospel. We're bowing our head. Sometimes we beat our breasts through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. We're asking God to be merciful and to forgive our sins, which is really important for us to do. We have to be aware that we're sinners or we can't be saved because someone, a Savior is someone who saves us from something. And the, and the only people who can't be saved are those who aren't sinners. And we all, we're all sinners. So when we come to church, we ought to mean it when we do the penitential rite. Not, it shouldn't be routine. You know, we do this every Sunday, so it's just a routine. We should actually try to have in our minds and hearts the sentiments, of the tax collector in today's gospel, bowing before, the, before our Heavenly Father, asking for his forgiveness and for his mercy. Okay. Number two, at the end of this gospel passage, Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. What is humility? Now many of us have the wrong understanding of humility. We think it means that we debase ourselves and that we don't acknowledge any good that we do. But even if we do good things, we don't take credit for it, but we uh, think negative thoughts about ourselves. And because of that, we no one really if we think that way, we don't really want to be humble. But humility is really something quite different. Humility is acknowledging the truth about ourselves and not pretending to be more than we actually are. To be aware that we're sinners in need of salvation is a basic kind of hum- humility. You know, and In the presence of God, all of us here are terrible sinners because we, re- we reject or resist the grace of God day to day in our lives. And humility is just admitting that. Not feeling bad about ourselves, but feeling badly about the things that we do and the way we reject the grace of God. I think it was St. Teresa of Avila who said humility is simply the truth. For example, if uh, you're beautiful and you say to other people, no, I'm not beautiful, I'm ugly, that's not the truth, right? But if you're humble, you know that your beauty didn't come from the makeup you put on this morning but came from God, really. Because we don't make our beauty. we don't make our faces. Uh, if you're a great athlete, did you make your body? you might have worked out and, and built it capable of doing great athletic things, but you started with something and you didn't create what you started with. That was also a gift that God gave you by way of your parents. you know If you're successful at business, made a lot of money. Um, got to got be head of the company. How did you do that? Was it just because you're special or because God gave you gifts that you've used to accomplish those goals? In other words, humility is knowing the right relationship between ourselves and God. And then knowing, if you know that, then you have a right relationship with your, your brothers and sisters because you don't see them as inferior, you know, like this Pharisee did. I mean, he He saw them as detestable. Um, He despised everyone else, Jesus says. If you have the right relationship with God and you know that what you have comes from him, then you respect your brothers and sisters because what they have also comes from God. And we ought to love and respect what God gives our brothers and sisters as well as what God gives to each of us personally. So, humility ought to be one of the goals of Christian life. We ought to learn to love it. If we know the truth about ourselves, it sets us free. Actually, we don't have to pretend. We don't have to be hypocrites. Because we're not afraid of the truth. You know? We don't have to hide from ourselves and hide from other people. And, of course, worst of all, hide from God. Okay? Third point. I think the Pharisee in today's gospel can be wrongly used, and we wrongly use him when we see him as an excuse for not observing the requirements of our faith. Uh, I meet all kinds of former Catholics who refer to you as hypocrites because you go to church on Sunday. You're all, they're all hypocrites. They're all hypocrites. You know, They're like that Pharisee. They're all hypocrites. Now, Jesus isn't isn't endorsing sinners in today's gospel. I mean, it's much better to be a humble Pharisee than a humble tax collector. What Jesus is doing here, he's comparing a proud Pharisee with a humble tax collector. And it's better to be a humble tax collector than to be a proud Pharisee. What's wrong isn't righteousness. That's a good thing. What's wrong is self-righteousness, where we declare ourselves to be righteous and we think that we're better than everyone else. So don't, don't use today's gospel as an excuse for not trying to be a good Christian. And most people who are trying to be good Christians simply are not hypocrites. They're good people who keep trying in the face of difficulty. And then the fourth practical point is a common saying that we've heard Hundreds of times, probably. At least my generation did. I don't know about the younger people here. But we were taught when we were kids that if we see someone who's had a lot of trouble in their life, who has committed serious sins, uh, you know, has gone to jail, we were always taught. I was taught this by my parents, that when I would see those people, I should say, There but for the grace of God go I that we shouldn't ever despise somebody else. Ever. Because that could be us, except for the grace of God. And to know that to be true is really important, not just to say it, but to know it to be true, that we're capable of great sin, all of us. And if it weren't for the grace of God, we would all be those terrible sinners. So parents, teach your children that, but teach yourselves that first. You know, to see other people, especially those who are sinners, as simply your brothers and sisters, and that you're blessed because you had the grace not to go the direction they went in their lives, whether it's drug addiction or, you know, all those difficulties that people face in their life. They're no worse than we are. They're just uh, weak, and they didn't respond in some ways to the grace of God. Now, one last thought. I mentioned earlier that St. Paul was a Pharisee. And in today's second reading from the second letter of Paul to Timothy, St. Paul's bragging. In some ways, he sounds like the Pharisee in today's gospel. You know, this is a a letter that St. Paul wrote towards the end of his life. And this is what he says. Beloved, I have competed well. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on, the crown of righteousness awaits me. So he's bragging. But there's a context here. We got to listen to, the, to all of his words. You know, if the Pharisee in the gospel has said those things and then said, but I know I didn't do any of this on my own. I know it's simply because of your grace that I've done these things. He didn't say that because he didn't think it true. He didn't believe it. But St. Paul says this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil threat and will bring me safe to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So when someone compliments you on your beauty, your athletic prowess, your intellect, your skills, your virtues, what you should be thinking and maybe you should be saying sometimes are these words from 2 Timothy To God be the glory, to him be the glory, forever and ever, amen.